0: I'm glad you're here. And uh, what a service we just had in the first service. I'm praying similar. And uh, our church is growing during the summer. Um, we were packed in the first service. And and I know tons of people. I, I'm wondering what it's going to look like when everybody gets back from vacation. It's going to be a good thing. see good things happening. Well... What if I was to promise you that just by doing one simple thing you would dramatically improve your prayer life, your worship experience, your faith, um, experience spiritual refreshing and just life in general getting better? Would you be interested? This thing that... I'm talking about is kind of a secret. There's only about a half billion people on the planet that actually have experienced it, uh, as far as we know, at this particular time. And we're talking about something that all 12 of the apostles, except Judas, did. They, They experienced it. Mary, the mother of Jesus, did it. James, the brother of Jesus, did it. Paul, the apostle, did it. Uh, Probably even more than anyone else, he claimed. Um, The first Gentile um, believers um, did it. And uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha did it. And like I said, about 500 million people today claim that they've experienced it too. So if all of those have done it, maybe... You should too. And uh, before I go into it, um, I I I was reminded yesterday of a a letter I received quite a while ago. Um, that they they had they kind of um, they, they wrote this letter and they were saying that you know they kind of disagreed with me on something. And by the way, I get those letters periodically. And I love them. I love them. I I covet people that are that love God's word, and they, you know, they even they have a, a different view of something. I want. I and they think that you know I'm saying something that they don't agree with. I want to hear it. I covet those things because, well, two things. One is it might give me an opportunity to communicate to them in a way that would help them understand something, or maybe I'll be the one. As I'm learning, I'm always open to uh, see if there's anything I need to grow in, or learn, or, and I'm open to that. Uh, there, and that's very important to me, because the Bible actually says, uh, let there not be too, you know, uh, be, be too many teachers. In other words, be aware That when you choose to be a teacher of the word of God, that you have a more stringent judgment. That we'll be judged as we teach the word by God with, um, God's going to hold us accountable for what we teach. And that's kind of scary. So I want to make sure I'm always teaching something that is, you know, Truly God's word. Well, this person wrote me and said, you said this. And she took issue with that. And my, um, what was interesting is, probably unaware that they were quoting the scripture. So what I had not, I didn't actually say it. I just quoted the scripture and didn't even make comment on the scripture. I just quoted the scripture. The scripture said it, all by itself, I didn't need to, and they were disagreeing with, and, and I didn't want to, you know, my response uh, would have been, I was, I was kind about it, but my response, if I was just being blunt about it, was, well, you're just disagreeing with the Bible, because that's all I gave, was the scriptures. And our, our decision on what we th- believe or what we think it should be should never be based that that should not be the prime you know way we come to conclusions. the way we come to conclusions is does the Bible say it? because as believers we hold the Bible as supreme, and uh, we 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 as believers aren't about you know finding what makes us feel good or makes us What we think is right, what we do as believers is we hold the scriptures above everything else, and we say when when making decisions about our belief system and even our life, what does the Bible say? That should be our very first question. If the Bible says it, then, well, whether we even practice it, we believe it. Because believing deeply will produce practicing. But we believe what the scriptures say. Now there might be arguments at times about if the scripture actually says something. And that's a whole different thing. But when the Bible is very clear and it's uh, it's easy to to know what the scriptures are saying. Most of the things in the Bible are very clear. Then we can easily just make the assumption that that's true. Because the Bible says it. Now, I say that because the subject matter we're talking about is a little bit strange. I'm telling you that ahead of time. And the question is not, do I agree with it? The question should be, is it biblical? Then we'll go from there. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. And verse number 1 is where we're starting out. And this is the chapter in which the church is born. The birth of the New Testament church, I would say. The church is actually in the Old Testament. It was a gathering of the believers. But the, the New Testament church was born on the day of Pentecost. And the Bible says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place... Now, what would you do if you were sitting in service and we were having like a little worship time or prayer time, and then these like look like tongues of fire came down on people and they all started speaking in a strange language? Would you run out of the building? Because that is a really strange thing, wouldn't you say? That you don't? Are you like, I think that's pretty strange. It's pretty weird. How that happened, but it happened. That's the that's how the church was born. All these these uh, they had, and they began all speaking in tongues, and it was strange to them, and it was strange to everyone who heard them. And people heard them, and in, because it was the day of Pentecost. Day of Pentecost is a major feast day in uh, in in Jewish uh, you know Jewish history, even today. And there was, would be, would have been in Jerusalem well over a million people who were there in Jerusalem celebrating the feast. And those people, many of them were from other countries. They're Jews who who probably communicated, was able to speak Hebrew. But they came and they also had other language, their home language where they were living and where many of them grew up. I mean generations sometimes. But they would come to Jerusalem to celebrate. And so there they are and the uh, here are these, there are 120 that were in that upper room when that happened, and they come out, and as they're praying, they're still speaking in tongues. All of a sudden, people in the audience are hearing them in their own language, their home language. And the people who are speaking don't speak the language. You know, they're, they're, it, this is something new for them. So they're not speaking a language they know they're speaking in what the Bible calls tongues. And th- it's the hearers that are hearing them in their own language. So th- I, uh, I, I believe this is how it's going. Someone is speaking and someone is hearing them in this language. Someone is hearing them in another language. Someone is hearing them in another language. So as they're speaking, they're hearing in different languages. It's not necessarily that they're speaking foreign languages. The hearers are hearing, and that's the miracle. In fact, it's the only time you see actually in Scripture that people were hearing in their own language. That was another miracle that didn't happen again. The tongues coming down didn't happen again. But people being filled with the Spirit and speaking in tongues happened over and over and over again. All all of the New Testament church was that in fact sometimes it got wacko it got out of hand and they had to be dealt with first Corinthians Paul is dealing with the church that they got wacko in speaking in tongues and he doesn't tell them to stop speaking in tongues he just tells them stop being weird (laughs) basically that's what he told them because they had different ones would stand up. One would stand up here and start blaring in tongues. Someone would stand over there, blaring in tongues. Somebody's here, blaring in tongues. And Paul writes them and he says, when you're doing that, there are people that don't understand what's going on and they run out of the place thinking you're crazy. And they should. You're, you are crazy. You need to knock it off. That's what he telling them. He, he, he tells them, stop it. So, but this instance this this day, these people are speaking in tongues right it's a, it's the apostles it's jesus 's mother she 's in that upper room mary um, uh, you know mary magdalene mary martha lazarus i mean they're all these are people that are up in that upper room and they're all speaking in tongues and so then Peter stands up because as They're speaking, some people are just hearing them speak in tongues and it's not in a foreign language and it's just gibberish. They don't understand what's being said. And it just sounds like gibberish to them. And their response is these people are drunk. That's what they said. They're drunk. And Peter stands up and says wait a minute, wait a minute. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. They're not all drunk. Nobody's drunk here. And what he does is he gives the answer. Now, what he, he doesn't say to them is, oh, this is just a good thing. This is a good spiritual uh, thing. A lot of people do it. He doesn't use that as his argument. What he uses as his argument is the Scriptures. So in verse 16, he says but this is what was spoken by the prophet. In other words, he's saying, this is what was spoken in the Bible. And he quotes from Joel, the book of Joel in the Bible. And he says, "'And it shall come to pass in the last days,' says God, "'that I will pour out on my spirit on all flesh. "'Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. "'Your young men shall see visions. "'Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my maidservants I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. And he says this is what that is. This is what Joel talked about you know, way back five over 500 years ago. This is what Joel was talking about. And this is what's happening. And so all these people who are watching this and seeing it some, there's confusion that goes on here. They're not quite sure, and, and Peter puts it in context. He says, this is the supernatural work that God said he was going to do in the last days. It's, this is kind of an interesting thing, by the way, in this. it's not I, I don't have it in your notes, but if you read that uh, portion of Scripture in Joel, you'll find that Joel prophesies about, um, about two outpourings. He says, there'll be a former rain And a latter rain. And what we saw happening on the day of Pentecost and in the early church was that former rain. That that was the outpouring. But the Bible says there's going to be a latter rain. That means that same kind of outpouring and power that was in the the first part will be also in the second. It's gonna happen again at the end of time. I'm at, I actually believe we're right in the middle of that right now. I believe it started at the, fir- the, the first of the uh, last century at the Zeus Street Revival, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's been the greatest revival numerically and, and and as far as speed goes in history. Of course, there's more people on the planet now. But because of that revival, more people have been touched with not only the... Outpouring of the Spirit in their life, but salvations as a result of that—you know, billions, I mean, millions and millions, hundreds of millions of people, as a result of the Azusa Street Revival, and that's a a whole history that you won't get in your public school classroom. But I want to talk about what happened not just on that day, but subsequently to that. And there was this, because of that first experience, then the church started operating under the supernatural power of God. And one of the ways in which it was, or the way that, w- that was recognized or identified that a person had this experience was in fact the speaking in spiritual language or, or referred to as Tongues. And I want to look at what is this. What is this tongues? And 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 14 says, If I pray in a tongue, he's talking about praying in tongues, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now listen to what it says about how this tongues work. It works this way. That your spirit is praying, but you don't understand what you're praying. My understanding is unfruitful. I don't benefit in my brain when I speak in tongues or pray in tongues. So he says, what is in conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. We'll talk about both of those in a minute, but that. That he says that when you pray in tongues, you're not you don't understand. Now that is weird. And there, and that's I, I think because of the strangeness of the gift, sometimes it's just cast off, and people go, I don't want to have anything to do with it because I don't understand. And the point is, yes, that's actually right. You don't. You're not supposed to. And there's a reason for that. Let me tell you my story. I, you know, when I when I um, came to Christ, I was 19 years old, and and uh, and it was a wonderful experience. I, I I found myself pretty empty, even though life I don't think was compared to mo- most that hard. But I was sure hopeless and empty. And I came to church or I was invited to church and and heard the gospel for the first time. I I was a um, a rare a church church attender of a denominational church that never taught the Bible. That was my experience. So I had kind of a, you know, a belief in God, but no, no relationship at all. And when I came to that church and I heard the gospel for the first time, I was ready. Yes, absolutely. A near-death experience also had pushed me a little bit that way as well. But... As a result of that, I was open. I experienced so much of the love of God when I said yes to Jesus, that I was pretty open to anything God would give me, and uh, and life started changing really rapidly. Uh, the next day, my buddies all wanted to get loaded, and I was all for that because that was part of my life at the time. And uh, I went and got loaded, and I felt miserable. I couldn't. I didn't enjoy a second of it. I was like, something's wrong, and I don't know why. I didn't, make, I didn't make the connection. It's because you accepted Jesus, idiot, yesterday. Now you can't do that stuff. It just makes you miserable. So I, um, the next week, though, um, the pastor said, come and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he said this. He says, and it's free. I went, wow, don't even have to pay for this. And he sounded so good, like this would be a wonderful thing to have. So I said yes, and I came down. Now, I didn't know anything about this. There's certainly this issue about tongues and that, I'd never heard of it before. So that was all. And, and, I, and I just knelt down because he had invited us to kneel down. And this elderly lady just came over, and she laid hands on me, and she started to pray, and she said, just worship God. And as I began to worship God, I could hear... These words that I didn't understand. And they were coming out of my mouth. But I was not articulating them. I wasn't like trying to, you know, make up weird words. They were just coming out as I was worshiping the Lord. They were just flowing from, and I could feel the presence of God. It was really powerful. I think I was there for about an hour. I just was, I was just enthralled in this moment of experience, which I knew nothing about, which I think was a help for me, because I'm the kind of person that likes to figure everything out, and because I didn't have a chance to do that, it just came out, I went, oh, okay, this is cool, this is God, and it was, and it, 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 it ushered me into, um, like, right into um, ex- expecting supernatural, because I, I see this in people sometimes, that they come to Christ, they're believers, but they don't have this experience with God, and so they kind of live their life without expectation of, of, of God doing supernatural things. It's kind of like they they live in the more of the natural world. And then I see people who they have this experience, especially if they have it early in their Christian walk, it doesn't really matter when it happens, but... Then once you actually experience it, then you've kind of entered into a supernatural realm in which you start to think uh, along the lines of, well, God has done something super, this is supernatural, and you become more expectant of supernatural things. And that's how I've lived my Christian life. I've seen so many miracles and walked with the Lord. I think it was a couple weeks after that, um, I've told this story before, but I was sitting in a service and a lady... Was wheeled in and she sat right next to me. Now, I'm a new believer, right? Uh, but I've had this experience with God. And she's sitting right next to me and we had a conversation. And she's telling me, you know, her life and she's telling about grandkids. And I asked her how long she'd been in the wheelchair. She says, Well, I haven't been able to walk for 15 years. I've been in this wheelchair for 15 years. And so we have this worship time experiencing, you know, this great presence of God. And I have my eyes closed. And I open my eyes and the wheelchair is empty. And that lady's running, running down the aisle. That was my earliest experiences where I saw the supernatural in, 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 in action, God doing s- some really cool stuff. And, uh, and, but I entered in early on because I think I became expectant of seeing God do supernatural stuff because of my experience. I had a I had a supernatural experience that helped me, uh, kind of along those lines. So that's my story. Now, there is a a segment of uh, of folks that are really resistant to this, and uh, and some of you have been part of that. I mean, you you've grown up in in churches, even might m- maybe speak against it, um, and there, some of them make you know, write books about it. and But unfortunately, most of the argument is about, really, it's about the, it, it's, it's based on the weird. That's, that's the problem. You know, one of the most um, read books starts off its first chapter, isn't really about the biblical argument of this, it's It talks about a lady who thinks her dog barks in tongues. That's weird. But you can take any group of people, right? And you can find weird. We talked about baseball players. You know, most baseball players, they're just amazing, right? I like baseball. But there are a few weird. Right? Any any category you 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 find you'll find weird. You can't let weird de- define the whole group, and that's what happens. They people will be, they're weird, and and that's actually that there was weird in the first church, and Paul confronted weird. He says, "No, you can't be weird. Stop it. Stop it." And he confronted it. He wrote. Uh, you know uh, in fact, much of the of First Corinthians is dealing with a church that had gone weird, but he did not say in fact i 'll tell you what he did say in First Corinthians 14, while dealing with weird, he said this: "Therefore brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not say do not. <laughs> do not forbid to speak with tongues." So he says, even though there 's weird." Don't stop! Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Don't you know? Don't stop something that is wonderful and a gift and from God, and put it, you know, and and throw it into the category of just weird. It's throw the word out. So what is this? This um, what's this all about? Well, the first thing is it's spiritual praying. Spiritual praying. That this gift was given for spiritual praying. Listen to what it says in verse 2 of chapter 14. For he who speaks in tongues does not speak to men, but to who? You see it up there? To God. So who are they speaking to? God. That's why I don't go around speaking in tongues to people. You're not speaking to them. You're speaking to God. It's prayer. So you're speaking to God. Not to men, but to God. For no one understands him. Now I want this one to kind of penetrate. That's why I'm gonna ask you to repeat it. I know, I know you hate this. For no one understands him. Will you say that with me? For no one understands him. I want you that to penetrate. When a person speaks in tr- tongues, no one understands them. You say, well, you just read about these people hearing them in their own language. That was a supernatural gift to those people. Never happened again. And if God didn't give them supernatural ability to, to understand, they would have not understood. So when someone speaks in tongues, no one understands. You don't understand if you're even speaking in tongues, you don't understand. And there's a reason for it, a good reason for it. But that's the point I wanna send home to you, because there are some people say, well, if it isn't a language, well, in fact, one of the arguments this was, what they were doing is they were just speaking different languages. That was their gift. They had a gift to speak a lot of languages. You know, they had learned languages. No, they didn't even know what they're saying. And that's the point. And when someone's speaking in tongues, they don't know what they're, they're saying. Why? What's the reason for it then? Sounds like a stupid thing to do if you don't know what you're saying. Romans eight twenty six. Look what it says. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses for we do not know what to pray for as we ought to, right? How many of you have ever prayed and you go, I don't know what to pray? You know, I've, I've kind of exhausted my prayer list. I really don't know what to pray. I wish, I wish I could just, I wish I could have really better insight into praying. I wish I could Pray about stuff that you know, and he, listen what he what he says to that. He says, "But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that cannot that that are groanings too deep for words, or another way of, uh, it, it can be translated that cannot be articulated. That our language and our brain falls short. The Spirit, who is who is united with our spirit, wants to pray prayers that we can't pray in our natural. We we fall short. The the, the Bible says that the spirit of man knows the mind of man, the spirit of man, and the the Holy Spirit knows us and our spirit. We know ourselves spiritually better in our spirit than we do in our mind. There are things that we need from God that we don't even know we need from God. And some some of those things have to do with God breaking loose and bringing healing. And I've seen this aspect of this gift be so um, powerful in people's lives. Because all of us come with baggage to God. you know. And some of us, the baggage and some of the things some of us have gone through in our lives, people in this room, uh, just de- damaging things that have affect your your you know the, your self view affected your way of you know your decision making has affected your thought life has affected your relationships in negative ways all these things have been because of damage and you know we go sometimes we try to find if you find a a great counselor a really good ca- christian counselor that 's a gift but The fact is, even then, sometimes you can't get people past certain places in their life. Sometimes it just takes years. But what if you could pray and God would hear the prayers of every deep thing that's in your life that needs to be healed and and set free and God could do that work in your life. That's what praying in tongues is. When the Holy Spirit is praying through you, things that you would not be able to articulate on your own, things that you wouldn't even know, the Holy Spirit will pray, and that's this gift. It it brings you into health. It brings you into, to rapidly, you know, make changes in your life that you wouldn't otherwise do. Now, here's a question. Is it, therefore, you or God praying? Is it you or God? The answer, yes. Yes. It's you and God. It's the Holy Spirit and your spirit uniting together in prayer. So it's your spirit praying. Now, he said, that's why he says there, my My spirit prays, you know, there in verse 2. He says, he says, when, when you pray, your spirit is praying. You when you speak in tongues, it's your spirit praying. And so you're releasing or you're giving release to your spirit praying. And when you pray in the spirit, your understanding is unfruitful. That means you don't even use your brain. That You could be balancing your checkbook in your brain and still praying in tongues. And uh, but by the way, there's been scientific work done with people praying in tongues, and they found certain, th- that, that when you pray in tongues, it comes from the area of your brain that faith is. It is also, now this is just a health thing, it's not in the Bible, but they found that people who pray in tongues have a better immune system that it actually causes their immune system to be stronger by praying in tongues. It, there's health benefits, but that's just a side note, and it's not a promise in Scripture, just some observation. The second, here's the second thing. It's not only do we pray in the Spirit, but there's spiritual praising, spiritual, that that when you're praying on the way to, to church this morning, Carol and I are, are praying together, or we were praying in the car, and I... Um, and they start to praise the Lord, and then I just think, man, my words, they're, they're not enough, Lord. I, I feel like my words are just so short of what God deserves in praise and worship. And when I'm praising the Lord, and this is, here, I don't know if you've ever done this, but it's singing. L- listen to what it says. It says it right there in 1 Corinthians 14, 15. It's not whether you kind of do it or don't do it or believe it or don't believe it. It's what the Bible says. He says, I will sing with the Spirit and I also will sing with the understanding. So, understanding spirit is like, you know, when you're reading the, the words on the song and you're singing in your understanding, but there's also singing in the Spirit. And that would be singing with your spirit singing apart. And then it builds your faith. Jude one twenty says, but you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the, with the Holy Spirit. You're praying in the Holy Spirit. You're building up what? Your faith. Your faith is increasing. Right, who doesn't need that, right? So, and then it brings rest and refreshing. Actually, in 1 Corinthians 14.21, uh, Paul quotes Isaiah 28. So I'm going to go to the original and read that. Isaiah 28, 11. For with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to his, this people. Then it says this. For whom he said, this is the rest which you may cause the weary to rest. It says this is the rest. There's a rest. There's a refreshing. This is the rest in which you will cause the weary to refresh. And this is the refreshing. So there is a refreshing that comes when you let your spirit pray. Now, in the Bible, you know, how, do you, how, do you speak, how do you speak or pray in the spirit? How do you pray in the spirit? In the Bible, people received the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which resulted in speaking in tongues in a variety of different ways. Um, on the day of Pentecost, we just read that, they were praying, they were all in unity in prayer, and it happened. While they're praying, no one's asking. By the way, Jesus never said, go to Jerusalem, stay, and wait until you get, you start speaking in tongues. He never said that. He said, go and wait for the outpouring of the Spirit. Go, you know, he referred to it as the baptism of the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit. Go and wait until you receive the fullness of the Spirit. It's the fullness of the Spirit that resulted in this um, manifestation. But when it happened on the day of Pentecost, they were just praying. That's one way it happened. Uh, In Acts 8, there's a group of Samaritans. And Peter comes and he preaches to them. And they get saved. And then he baptizes them. And then some of the disciples come... And they lay hands on them, and then they are filled with the Spirit, and they start speaking in tongues. That's a whole different way it happened. That, then, in Cornelius' house, you know, um, that, 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 that's that Italian guy and his family, that was quite a, quite, they, they were eating some, they were, they were some lasagna and, and uh, some big CD, and, and they were having a gathering together. And Peter came, and he preached to them, right? And, and as he's preaching, all of a sudden they start speaking in tongues. Now, if I'm the preacher, that would be freaky. You know, I'm, you're just preaching, you tell them, and then all of a sudden they start speaking in tongues. That's what happened. Then Peter went, wow, they, must, they got saved, obviously. They were hearing the message they received. They started speaking in tongues. he said, well, let's go get them baptized in water then. You know, it's obvious they were filled with the Spirit. So that was a different way it happened. And then in Ephesus, Paul went there, he preached to them, and uh, and that's in Acts 19, and then he laid hands on them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's actually how Paul got filled with the Spirit. Paul the Apostle, who was Saul, persecuting the church, God knocked him down, caused him to go blind, and said, Paul, you're going to stop persecuting me, persecuting my church, and uh, he said, who are you, Lord? And, I'm, you know, and so the Lord reveals himself, and he tells him to wait, and he sends someone to go pray for Paul. Anias went and laid hands on him, and then Paul was filled with the Spirit. And it doesn't say he spoke in tongues when that happened. It, it doesn't say that. But later on, Paul says he did speak in tongues. In fact, he says, I'm just, I, I speak in tongues more than all of you. He was a tongue speaker, Paul the Apostle. He was a tongue speaker. Now, what does it take to be filled with the Holy Spirit? First, receive Christ. It, always, it starts there. Now, Peter said to them on the day of Pentecost, Repent, let every one of you be baptized, Romans 2.38, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he says, so here's the pattern, right? He says, repent, be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they took him down to the water, get baptized. And then he says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the, and I want you to get this, please get this, all right? For the promise is to you, and to your children, and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. If you're a believer, I don't see how you can get away from this to say, well, it was just for the apostles or anything like that. He said, this is for you, your children, and to as many as are far off, to all, everyone, who the Lord calls and if you've been called by God and you're that means you're a believer you've been called to salvation you've you've heard the, the call you are a believer it is for you what happened to them is for you this is the filling of the Holy Spirit and and the, that, that that blessing now he also says in, in chapter 8 where the Samaritans were it says that they received the word they received salvation, they received Christ, they were baptized, and then they got filled with the Spirit. Now, in Cornelius' house, they didn't even get a chance to get baptized, they got filled with the Spirit. So God doesn't have this major pattern, but the first thing is that you're a believer, obviously. Second of all, you ask. Now, not in every situation did they ask, but this is the promise. In Luke chapter 11, verse 13, it says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So I want to ask this question of you. Have you ever asked the Father for the Holy Spirit? Do you see that Jesus said that your Heavenly Father will give to you the Holy Spirit if you ask? Now I want, I, and th- this asking process is obviously a subsequent to the salvation process. You don't ask for the Holy Spirit. There's no evidence of seeing that in the scripture. Um, Asking for the Holy Spirit when you get saved. When you get saved, you receive the Holy Spirit. But what he's talking about is he's talking about the fullness of the Spirit. The disciples were believers. And on the day of Pentecost, they got filled with the Spirit. In in Acts uh, 8 they subsequent, they got saved, baptized in water, and then filled with the Spirit as they laid hands on them. It was a subsequent to salvation. So we're not talking about the Holy Spirit that comes to you when you get saved. We're talking about a subsequent work of the Holy Spirit of being filled with the Spirit and then whatever God you know, does in that, in that refilling or that, fi- uh, that filling of God's Spirit. It's the difference between Um, taking a glass of water and being dunked in a tub of water. You see? And then worship and sing. I want you to see this. As a heart is openly, unreservedly worships the Lord, uh, it says in Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And then it adds, then it says this, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we worship the Lord and we, w- when the presence of God comes and we're inviting the fullness of God into our life, that's what that is about. And by the way, there's no place that says that we ask for tongues, that's not tongues is a byproduct of the fullness of God's Spirit, but I want you to know how it operates and and to be if you would be open for God to work that way, God in your life, God will fill you and and that tongues is not for a select few. Everyone, all 120 on that morning, God filled with the Holy Spirit, and everyone after that when they prayed, they would they would that would be the initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit was that they spoke in tongues. I, I know right now there's probably people that some of you maybe have had the experience, maybe even started, maybe I, this is, because I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people on this. Um, I'll find that people have had encounters with God and when you kind of press in, yeah, it's kind of, I was having this weird feeling and I you know the presence of God and and I had these words and I spoke some of these words that didn't make sense and I stopped it. That that's one category that I could probably put a whole bunch of people in that category. They started but they were kind of uh, afraid of it and it was they were the, it was it didn't it didn't register in what they understood of how it should operate, you see. And then there are others who had a full experience, but they've just kind of let it go. And this wonderful gift that does all these great things in our life, they've let it go. And, and that's why where Paul says there, he says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. I kind of would like that to be, I, I'd like to be able to say that. I don't think I can, but I would like to be able to say that. I, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. You know, but i know some of you and uh probably don't so it, it, it's not like you know you that, like i said it isn't it, it like it isn't a badge of christian honor that you speak in tongues it has you know it's if somebody says you know we, we identify somebody has a gift of administration that's a gift in the scriptures we wouldn't say well that person has a gift of administration, they're more spiritual than the person who has the gift of teaching or the gift of mercy. We wouldn't say that. Though tongues is for everyone, it, it's a manifestation gift, it's not a resident gift. It still is not a badge that makes you more spiritual. Sometimes tongue speakers are less spiritual than non tongue speakers, because that's not the way it works. But it is always a good gift from God. And so, to to receive that gift, you actually need to have an experience of being filled with the Spirit. And that's what you ask for. Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And so, this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to close. Ask the worship team to come right out, or the worship leaders to come up at this time. And uh, they're going to lead us into, into a, a moment of worship. And uh, remember it says, sing to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's kind of like priming the pump, you know. You're just getting it started to be able to worship the Lord and and glorify God in and inviting the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And if you would like more of God. this While we have this short worship time. I'm going to invite you to just. If you want to stand during this time. Sit. Whatever is comfortable for you. All that matters is that it, it's, it becomes at some point just you and Jesus. Could it just become you and Jesus at some point. Don't worry about anybody else. Invite God to fill you up. And if that starts to manifest in your heart, just let it go. And, uh, and then in, in a minute, I'm going to invite any of you that would like to have someone pray with you. I'm going to invite the, the prayer team down in a minute and, uh, and, the, and our pastors and leaders to pray with you. And if you would like that, they'll be here to do that, to pray with you, okay? But we're just going to lift up our heart to the Lord. Take a moment. Jesus is here. He's present here right now. And, uh, and he wants to touch you. God, the Holy Spirit wants to fill you afresh and anew. So let's just uh, allow the Holy Spirit to, to fill our hearts. Lift our voices to him.